Hey there, romance readers and kinky friends. We would love to keep the discussion popping on Instagram. Head over to romance at glance to play with us and recommend our next book. Stick around at the end of this podcast because we have an exclusive where we went to see Scarlett Peckham on an author panel and we are going to include some juicy tidbits from the panel on her thoughts about her book and the romance genre in general. And stick around till the end. Romance at a glance. Uh-huh. Romance at a glance. What you say now? Romance at a glance. Go ahead, girl. Well, hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Romance at a Glance. Today, we are going to be reviewing The Earl I Ruined by Scarlett Peckham. Mm. I'm here today with my co-host, Shawnee. Hey. I don't know if I said my name. My name is Bridget. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for listening. And if you love our podcast, or even like it just a little bit, subscribe to it. We are a podcast all about the romance. We are here for the nookie and the cookies. We're going to get down and gritty. And we'd love for you to join us. Every week we have new episodes. And uh, so come join us for the romance. Yeah, and not only the romance in the novel. I mean, obviously, if you want to read along with us, we would be happy to. We have a list on our website that tells you exactly what books are coming up. But also... You know, enjoy me and Chani getting into some real life hilarity and <laughs> talking through some sexual issues, awakenings, thoughts, comments, mm. relationships, babies, friends, you know, all the things that would come up in a romance novel, we will dive deep into. Absolutely. Yes. And also, if you like the podcast, or if you don't, I guess, you could if you didn't. But if you do, you should. Leave us a comment or review. Uh, the podcast peeps really like when people leave reviews and with a new podcast like ours it could be really really helpful so if you have a few moments to spare and want to jot out a quick hundred characters i'll let people know what you thought about our podcast how did you manage to make that sound sexy i don't know jot out characters yeah jot out some characters <laughs> you know i like to talk off the top of my head i mean you're good at it Bridget. really good at it <laughs> That's why I never take notes, because if I take notes, then I'll just try and read them and sound really weird. And otherwise, I just like, what am I supposed to say? I could say that. Just, just spitball. <laughs> <laughs> so now on to the episode where we talk about The Earl I Ruined, book two in The Secrets of Charlotte Street. Dun, dun, dun. That sounded a little ominous, and I feel like this book was not ominous. No, it wasn't. I think maybe it should have been like... <laughs> you're right, you're right. A little, a little more sexy, sexy twang, you know? Let me try that again. Let me try that again. <laughs> yes, that is it. Um, this is a historical romance novel. And if you guys listened to episode one of the podcast, you will know that we really, really liked the first book in this series, um, The Duke I Tempted. I highly recommend you get on reading that one. And, you know, I'm going to go out on the limb and say I liked this book. I'm going to have to agree, uh, Bridget. I am, I mean, in general, I think I'm just here for Scarlett Peckham. You're here for Scarlett. Like, she's really serving it, and she's uh, giving me some original, you know, storyline, mm-hmm. you know, with, with the tropes, but but an original spin on it. That's all. That's the best you can ask for at yeah. this point. And uh, 
So yeah, I, I dug it. And I think anyone who's like trying to avoid the tropes is really missing the point of romance. Because the point is not to avoid the tropes. The point is to like embrace the trope, but like write a good story yes. in that trope. You know what I mean? So it's like this, in this one, uh, well, this one has a lot of different things going on. I'm going to read the synopsis really quick, just so people who haven't read the book or maybe read it a while ago can get on the same page. She's beautiful, rich, and reckless. What Lady Constance Stonewall accidentally ruins the Earl of Apthorpe's entire future with her gossip column. She does what any honorable young lady must, offers her hand in marriage, or at the very least, stages a whirlwind fake engagement to repair his reputation. Never mind that it means spending a month with the dullest man in England, or the fact that he disapproves of everything she holds dear. He supposedly is the most boring politician in the House of Lords. Julian Hayward, the Earl of Apthorpe, is on the cusp of finally proving himself to be the man he's always wanted to be when his future is destroyed in a single afternoon. When the woman he's secretly in love with confesses she's at fault, isn't it just his life that is shattered? It's his heart. <gasps> they have a month to clear his name and convince society that they are madly in love. But when Constance discovers her foe intended is decidedly more than meets the eye, not to mention adept at shocking forms of wickedness, she finds herself falling for him. There's only one problem. He can't forgive her for breaking his heart. <laughs> Spoiler, he does forgive her. <laughs> it takes a really long time, though. One might say an aggressively long time. ATA. Yeah. Uh, this is in the historical romance genre, but it's fun because it's historical romance with a little bit of like uh, kink slash uh, intrigue, one might say. Um, because it's not like the typical sort of like Harlequin. Um, oh, I was running through the fields and ran into this gentleman. <laughs> you know what I mean, like, and then we had very passionate vanilla missionary sex. sex. <laughs> and after we were married, of course, um, this one definitely has uh, some fun, juicy tidbits. Yeah. Well, I also love that this book has like the tropes reversed. Like normally, the guy is offering to save the girl's reputation. That's mm -hmm. how it always goes. I've never seen it happen in reverse, mm -hmm. like ever. So it's it's so interesting that she's the one saying like, oh, well, I will marry you to help you out. <laughs> yeah, because I'm the rich one. I'm the rich one. I I'm the, the powerful one. Exactly. <laughs> I have all the connections. Who and I kidding? can fix this. Yeah, like I got this. I'm so charming. Everybody, lo everybody loves yeah, me. Yeah, totally. You know, and so I, I thought immediately that that was just a great spin on an old trope. I really liked that she constantly is telling him when he says, like, oh, I love you, she's like, no, because love, love is a series of actions. Yes. Love isn't you professing it. In the last eight years, all you've done is disapprove of me and tell me what's wrong with me and, and tell me that I shouldn't have my friends and I shouldn't do these things that I do. And that's not what someone who's in love with someone does. Like, you haven't acted in the way that you're in love with me, and so I don't believe you. And I'm like... Snaps. Snaps, girl. Snap it up. <laughs> and he's like, and I think it's really funny because he literally doesn't realize that he's been a curmudgeon to her. Yeah. Until her brother's like, he doesn't even like you. He's always saying bad things about you. <laughs> and he's like, oh, shit, am I? But this is like the third person to say that today. <laughs> Self-awareness. I know. Like, so good. Yeah, I, I'm, I agree. The love is a series of actions. Is a great way of saying something I think I've said my whole life, which is like, don't tell me you love me, show me you love me. Um, and I just will not believe that someone loves me unless their actions match up. I remember like not really believing that uh, 
my partner loved me until he like used his credit to sign like sign for a car for me right i mean i was paying for the car but he signed it so we could get a better deal and i remember looking at him and being like that's that's love. That's some husband love That's shit. Some, that was, I was like, and and that was like the moment where I was like, oh, he loves me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're like three years in or something at this point, That's so funny. Or, or whatever. But it was like that level of action. I mean, that's like such an aggressive action. I'm sure over the three years prior, he did so many nice I mean, actions did, for you did, that you should have realized were equaling love. And it took like the most dramatic loan situation for you to realize it. I love how it's so romantic too. It's like, you, you co-signed the loan? Like, oh my God. But that was literally when that's I was like, so oh, buddy. he absolutely loves me. Yeah. <laughs> No, I think it's true. I mean, I think... And you're right. He takes care of me on a daily basis. He, like, sure. makes me breakfast. He does all this yeah. stuff. I'm like, no, no, no. No, no. The loan. It's the loan. <laughs> no, I totally agree. I think, you know, one of the nice things about when I met my husband was that, um, you know, a lot of people, especially in, in Los Angeles, are... It always feels like people are, like, fishing for a better activity to do. So, like, oh, yeah, maybe we can meet up on Friday... And I'm like, why wouldn't you just commit to that? Like, if you like me as a person and a friend or a lover, like, that should be like, yeah, Friday is good at seven. Like, let's fucking do it. And I feel like even before we were friends for like six months first, and even before we dated, he was like, I'm in town for four days. Like, can you do Wednesday at 630? I'll come get you. We'll have dinner. We'll go to the movies or whatever. Um, and it was very much like, I will clear my schedule to make sure we can see each other or make sure, you know, like if you're, you know, you need something, like, I forget what I was doing, like pretty soon after we dated, um, I don't know. I needed like help doing something. And he was like, yeah, I can come over right now and do it. And I was like, oh yeah, no, I'm in my pajamas. Like, I don't know. <laughs> can you come over like two hours? I was like, I was like, no, it's not great. But it was like, he was like always very much like, oh, you like getting flowers? Like, so he would bring home flowers or he would say, I thought about bringing home flowers today. And I was like, it's not the same, it's not the same. but you did think about me, I guess it's not the same Buy the flowers or don't tell me. Or don't tell me you don't but, get um, points for yeah. something you didn't do. But he was always like very much, uh, thinking about ways that he could like make my work day easier or make my yeah. after work easier. And, um, yeah, it's the actions, it's the little thing. It is like a life is full of little. A life is full of like eating breakfast together. It's not full of like grand romantic <laughs> gestures. It's full of like, you know, do they make you feel good? Do they when they go get a glass of water? Do they get you one, or do they ask you? You know what I mean? Like every time we're out somewhere together, I always feel like so happy that he's my husband, but also bad for other people because they'll you know he'll he'll come back with something he knows I want to drink. Yeah. Like, he, even if I'm in the bathroom, he'll just come back and be like, oh, I just assumed you'd want a Coke. Or or when I'm not pregnant, I assumed you'd want, you know, this beer, or this wine, or this cocktail, or whatever. Yeah. And I have other friends whose, like, husbands will go by, like, by themselves, or even at, like, free weddings, go get a drink from the bar. And I'm like, it's free. You didn't bring your wife or your girlfriend <laughs> back something? The fuck's wrong with you? Or you didn't bring your partner back if they're the same gender? I'm like, that is some... Mm -hmm bullshittery <laughs> my husband went to the bar at a especially at a free wedding yeah and did not bring me back a beverage of any kind it could be water i yeah. don't care i would be like you better give me your <laughs> get another one are you insane um anyways but yeah it's the actions it's the little things that that uh that sell it and i think the little things in this book that really 
sold it for me are that she is very um like one of the things that makes him like kind of re fall in love with her is he realizes how much, how hard she works to make everyone around her feel included and feel like they're part of the party and that they're like seen and heard and loved. And, and especially like when his mom and sister come, she like goes out of her way to make sure that they're having like the best time of their life, which again is like partially cause she has expendable wealth. So she <laughs> can take them to the opera and buy yeah. new dresses. But it's also that she recognizes that like, oh, their dresses are worn. And so I want them to have new dresses so that when they're out, they feel beautiful. And Oh, they haven't gone to the opera because they've been in the countryside. And I want them to like go out and have fun and laugh. And um, I think that that's a really admirable quality for a heroine. So yeah, I think it speaks to um, her showing a series of actions. Um, I do find that it is important that he makes that realization that he hasn't been showing the actions. <laughs> and I think when... Later on, when he kind of accuses her of, like, uh, going back on her word and, and stirring up, you know, stuff. And she's like, wait, 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 wait. That's unfair. Like, first of all, I didn't do anything. And you're assuming. Um, I thought that was a great moment because um, I like the moment where she's like, oh, he didn't really forgive me. Like, he said one thing, but his actions are showing me a completely different thing. Um, and then I like that she responded on the action and not on the words. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was important to me. And I, I think, you know, I think I, I love this. I love Scarlett's books because I love and hate it for the same reason. Right. So I love characters that are um, that are not flawed or not hugely flawed. But I. And so when I first read her first book, I was like, those characters are majorly flawed. Like, you can see all the flaws and these special nuanced flaws. Same here. You can see all the flaws. You can see that he doesn't have any money. He's a broke-ass nigga. <laughs> Strike what? In a wig. In a, in a wig. Strike one. <laughs> Strike what? Um, you, you know, he's trying to get this bill passed. All his money's riding on whether or not this bill gets passed. Um, and all this, all this stuff, he's not set up. He's not the billionaire. He's not the Duke with all the, you know, all the money and stuff. Um, and so you, he is this, this dude trying to hustle, you know? And, um, and for me, that's so rich of a character. You know, at first I was like, I do, I do really like those like billionaires that, that can take care of everything. I, like, I like that trope. Um, but I also, once I read these, I was like, oh, I really like them having to overcome these character flaws and that these very specific character flaws that she put into the story make all the actions make sense mm -hmm. later on. They're not just arbitrary. Mm -hmm. They don't have conflict for a reason that wasn't set up earlier. Yeah. Like he's not a male prostitute just for no reason. Right. It's because he's literally trying to keep him, his mom and his sister afloat when they have no money and they have no means of getting money until he can establish himself in the house of Lords and get this bill passed and change the economy of his whole side of England. And what a great reversal of a trope. It's so fun. <laughs> Who doesn't like it? Like I was like, what? I know. What? Also, I think it's so funny that she's been calling him Lord Boar yes. <laughs> for like eight years or something like that. And it turns out like the whole time he's just like very, has like a very stiff exterior in public but obviously, he's got some kinky shit going on in his his, his personal sex life, his gigolo life, his gigolo life. 
Um, and I thought it was so funny because I feel like some people would be obviously turned off by that. And that's totally your prerogative if you want it to be. Um, I feel like her response is mine where she was like, oh my God, well, what does this do? What does this do? What does this do? Oh, show me, show me, show me. Like that is a hundred percent. Every time I've ever heard about a kink that anyone that I've ever been with has had of any kind. I mean, small to large. Yes. I've been like, tell Tell me me more. more. (laughs) Explain to me how it works. What is it that I'm required to do? Like you want me to do what now? What goes Mm. in where? What happens? Okay. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, well, let's all try these things out and see what happens. And you know, you know, most of the time, if it's someone else's, you're like, okay, well, if it works for you, I'm okay with doing it sometimes, but not my thing. Or, or sometimes you take, a piece of, you take a piece of something. Right. You see and like get a little snippet and you're yeah. like, this is, this is it. And I feel like what he ends up being where he's like creating the fantasy for his and for her at the end. But like for the people that come to him is that he's like in a safe way, like catching them doing something wrong and then punishing them for it. You know what I mean? And I'm like, that is my type of jam. Like. Why don't you come ravish me because I <laughs> read your diary? Like, yes. Yes, please. Especially because I'm oh, no. consenting ahead of time. Yes. I already know where this is going, but it's just like such a fun way to get your adrenaline pumping. Yes. And and uh, I was actually, so I'm going to have a, I had a little kid, like, uh, like a sexual awakening moment in this book when um, she asked him, I mean, I don't know if we should wait to the kink section, but. No, uh, let's just dive I, in. Okay. She asks asks him um, to like show her something, and he gives her an apple. He's like, "Take this oh. apple," and I was like, "Apple? <laughs> <laughs> a what now? Uh, was I what? What? What can you do with the apple?" <laughs> I was like, "I have never explored the apple. Like, I have been snoozing. Have I been snoozing on the apple? <laughs> You've been snoozing on the apple." The apple. On the apple. I mean, it's, it doesn't have to be an apple. It could be like literally anything that is firm and that you can like press into your clitoris and your outer vagina while you're masturbating. I was just like, I mean, that's happened, but I never thought to use like an apple or a fruit or a, I just uh, feel whatever. like I never did either. And, and mostly my main thing is like, I'm like, but I like eating apples. I'm going to eat it after I just jerk with it. And, like, and then it's going to rot. So it's not like you can keep it forever. So it always has seemed. But also I don't live in like there are times where there's like not that many things around your room that you could use. Yeah. So I, I, I live I, in modern times with silicone. And, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, I was a, a kid the first time I was like, ooh. Well, first it was the shower with the shower heads you can take off. Oh, yeah. That's where I discovered all, oh, yeah. all the business. Sure. But then I remember like trying to chase this high. I didn't. First, I didn't know you could have it outside of the shower, mm-hmm. right? So I used to go to like my aunt's house specifically because she had that shower head, so and nice. I'd be like just waiting all week, like to get to the weekend so I could go, <laughs> go to. And she'd be like, "Why are you taking such long shower? Get out of the shower!" And you're like, oh, <laughs> my hair is dirty. And like, <laughs> she's like, "You shower a lot, like twice a day." I'm like, "Yes, dear." <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but if you but, were a boy, she immediately would have known that you're masturbating. Immediately, she'd been like, "Don't jerk off on my shower wall," you know, but because. As a girl, she, you can get away with more because you have your period or you have whatever, and so you know. So I, just, I really like showering, um, but then I remember like going home and trying to figure out how to like do it in the meantime. Yeah, and so I would use like dry erase markers, which let me tell you are not the thing you should no, use. No, they got a lot of nooks and crannies. Not so nooks and crannies, but I did not know what I was doing. Yeah, and so I was just like dry erase markers. The first thing I could find it was like it was effective. 
but it was definitely <laughs> not hygienic. It was not. It was. It was. Well, I never. I I always had like my underwear, oh, like okay. in be, in between or whatever. Okay. But um, I just remember it. Ha- it's sharp. It's like plastic, and yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. whatever you yeah. know. And I just didn't know what I was doing. I was sure. literally just like. Let's just try this hard, weird thing down here. It's so funny that you didn't just like use your fingers. That would have been way. That would have been way smarter. <laughs> but actually, there was a reason I didn't use my fingers. My mom, since I was seven, used to come in my room and smell my hands. I had no idea why she would do this. What? Since I was seven, I remember the first time, like I was like I was pretending to be asleep because I was supposed to be asleep. So she came in and she literally just sniffed my hands, and I was like. What is she doing? Does she think I have poop what? on there? Yeah. <laughs> like, like at this point, I wasn't... I didn't, sure, you're seven, you know? yeah. Like, I mean, I used to mess with myself, but not because I knew anything. Sure. It was just like, this is my vagina. Sure. Um, and so, yeah, she did that. And I just... And, and I remember thinking, like, this doesn't make any sense. I don't know what she thinks is happening. It was so confusing to me. And it happened periodically over the years. So I always thought that I had to have something else. Like, I couldn't use my hands because she was going to come smell them. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. So it was always like this. It's a stra- strategic. It was strategic that I always had to find something else. Not the hands, though. It was hysterical. <laughs> well, as far as I know, my mom was not smelling my hands, so I just used my hands. <laughs> <laughs> I actually didn't use anything else to assist me until I was like, even porn or anything, until yeah. I was like 25, 24, yeah. six. Well, I use so, like, I use romance novels. No, I mean I use <laughs> oh, yeah. I obviously use romance. I use my imagination in romance novels, but I mean like anything physical. Physical, got you, yeah. Yeah, or or any like obviously like visual porn um, aside from reading books, which is very funny considering that I have had a high sex drive and horniness. My basically like even as a teenager, I was like not at all ready yeah. to do anything with anyone. Did not want to be involved in a sexual instance, except for in my mind, with other people. Uh, but that didn't mean that I wasn't like reading 10 romance novels a week and like thinking about it and imagining it and, you know, going through those fumbling stages of like trying to have an orgasm and not really understanding how to get to any <laughs> sort of climax and just kind of like, this all felt great that I'm not sure this was supposed to be happening. But or when you don't know, like when you when you find out what an orgasm is and you don't know if you've had one. Well, the fir- a- on the first time you have one, you're like, oh, yeah, I never had one before. <laughs> <laughs> that shit was crazy. <laughs> that, that shit happened like with sex. I remember in the beginning, I was like, oh, yeah, I definitely that came. Sure. Like, I had no idea what what it was supposed to happen like well, i had i had orgasms before i ever had sex because i didn't have sex till i was 20 well, i did 20, i did too but i never knew what the what it was going to feel like in the context of actually having sex i'm like this feels oh. really great and amazing like yeah. and sometimes they get you Let's close do it again you know and you're like oh that must have been it mm. like I, I always remember being confused whether or not it had happened or not mm. you know what i mean and sometimes i was just like i'm ready for this to be over so <laughs> that has only ever happened to me once that I remember in my whole like sexual history and I remember it was because my boyfriend was like at the time was drunk but like not so drunk he like couldn't have sex but too drunk I guess to To, ejaculate oh gotcha or something so we were having sex for what felt like I was like an hour I mean it felt like forever and I was like Look, it was like 2 a.m. I was also drunk. And I was like, is this going to happen? <laughs> and he's like, oh, yeah, I don't think I'll be able to come. And I was like, okay, we got to stop then. Because otherwise, like, I'm not going to be able to f- 
fucking walk tomorrow. Like, we're not going to be able to have sex tomorrow because my vagina is going to be so sore because we've been having sex for too long. And he's like, okay. And so we, like, brush our teeth and went to sleep. And it was, like, so sweet. We were both like, okay. But that's the only time I've ever remembered um, being like, oh, I wish this was over. Yeah. And I was just like, this has gone. I mean, the first half hour was great. And then I was like, are we, what are we, are we going are we? to a point? Where are we going? Are we? What's, what's, what's happening here? We can't do this forever. <laughs> I think, I think also like in these books, it's, it's kind of cool because I think, I think in each one, they, um, both of the girls are virgins, I think in both in these books. Yeah. And, uh, so they, the sex builds up, mm-hmm. the sexual encounters builds up. So it's entirely plausible that, They've learned how to work with their bodies by the time the sex comes. Yeah. You know, and it's really nice to have like these uh, hero characters that kind of help them in that regard Mm -hmm. before they actually are just like having sex. I love that. She calls it being in distress. I was in distress. (laughs) He was like, what? And she's like, I was in distress. (laughs) And he's like, oh, I was in distress three times yesterday. (laughs) I do like that too. I like that she also like says that after each encounter um, in this book that, you know, she goes home and she thinks about the other guy and she doesn't ever think they're going to get married and have sex. So she like thinks about him. And now that he's taught her to relieve her distress, she, she's out there relieving distress all day. Man, it's a brand new world when you learn how to relieve that distress. (laughs) I'm serious. I think honestly, the world would be much better if everyone just like jerked a little bit more. Yeah. Or had sex and orgasms. I mean, you could have it however you want to, but like, even if you're just by yourself, you just take a quick, quick moment. Just like, um, you know what? I need to just tune myself, get a little, get a little, uh, Serotonin, a little dopamine flowing. You know what I'm saying? Get the heart rate up. I cannot fight somebody like after I've masturbated. No. Like I'm in such another like headspace. Yeah. Like I you can talk great. to me and I'm like, hey, how you doing? Yeah. Everything seems easy. Everything seems super easy. Yeah. It's like my equivalent of like a drug. I think I it actually, is a drug because it's th- flooding your brain with all the drugs that your body naturally has in there. It's it's for it's me great. it's addicting because if if I'm having anxiety or if I'm overwhelmed, my body's like masturbate like it's just it goes into a high drive and that's the only thing that's going to relieve like that pressure that's because you don't do any other things like you don't drink you don't do any drugs you don't smoke you don't you know i mean it's like this is like the one way your body's like okay Okay. i know i can get all of these chemicals (laughs) in this way she'll do this (laughs) i think it's definitely the healthiest of all those options except for maybe like i don't know running or exercising and getting a high from that maybe I guess you could quantify as being healthier over the long term, perhaps. Nah. But uh, yeah, no, I feel the same way. If I'm having like a really shitty day, I'm just like, I gotta go home. I gotta just be by myself for a bit. Yeah, just like read some smutty fan fiction or something. Just, just enjoy, enjoy myself, <laughs> and then I'll feel right as rain. Yes, right as rain. Do you have like a? I have like this little collection of audiobooks that are literally thirty minutes or less. They're like my quickie go-tos. Like, oh, that's hilarious. When I just need like, I just need a minute. And I only got a minute. Like, <laughs> yeah, because you already like know the beats. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I I should though. That's so smart. It's it's because so sometimes it's really annoying when you're like searching around for something and you're like, oh, the story doesn't make sense. Oh, this one's annoying. Oh, I don't like these characters. And then you like find one. And you're like, ooh, this is okay. Okay, I see where we're going with this. <laughs> um, but sometimes yeah, you do waste like. A little bit of time at the beginning searching yeah yeah but i i don't have i don't have any like go-tos i have i have like go-to like i guess like mental fantasies of either like previous books i'll like think about or 
or just scenarios or something. Scenarios, that's the key. A go-to scenario. A good go-to, but not like in, those are just like my imagination. Those aren't like in media form. Yeah. No, no, yeah. All in your your brain. I guess I should get a few. I have go-tos. I actually just like literally told my partner like one of my go-tos that I've never said out loud like the entire like six years we've been together. He's like, what do you think about? Like, do you really want to (laughs) know? I have all sorts of like, like scenarios. I'll tell you. You know, I'll fucking. Tell he was like, you. "Really?" And I was like, "Oh yeah." yeah. I was like, "I can't do this just straightforward." Like, yeah. you know, like I feel like ha- I feel like seventy five percent of my go tos I don't actually want to happen in real life. Like if they happen, I feel like it would be a fucking horrific event. <laughs> but <laughs> that doesn't mean that I still don't enjoy thinking about them. Well. See, like, in my mind, right, when people talk about, like, DP, like, double penetration, mm-hmm. or, like, whatever they call spit roasting or whatever, that all sounds, like, in your mind, like, really hot Hot me. as fuck. Hot as fuck. Hot as fuck. In real life. Hells no. That shit just sounds like a whole lot of work. Sounds like so much. Actually, and a well, whole lot of relaxing. <laughs> D, so, this is my thing about, um, in general, um, about seeing porn. And I'm like, she, like, I don't want any of the ones that are supposed to be, like, for the woman to be her doing work. So any of the ones where a woman's being massaged by a man, but then has to give him a blowjob off the massage table for five minutes, I'm like, no. No. Because it's not for her. Like, (laughs) this is her massage. You're busting into her massage time. Now, if you're going to give her some good fingering and an orgasm, maybe eat her out and put the D in, she's not opposed to it. Get that D up in there. <laughs> but she better be fucking prone while you're banging her because she is in a massage. massage. She is relaxing. <laughs> and that is how I feel also about like anything where I'm like, okay, she, you're having sex with multiple people, which I am totes for. It's more just like, but do I have to be doing all the work for all the penises involved? Because yeah. that seems like a lot. Yeah. And also like, you know, as the older you get, you you know like those body positions that you can't stand for a yeah, long time. There's no way. Whenever there's like three guys and she's giving a blowjob like three guys and she's in she's on her knees or she's in that squat position with the knees on the floor mm-hmm. and the feet under your butt. Yeah. That is a hard position to keep. <laughs> that shit hurts. Your knees lock up, your thighs lock together, your ass is sore because it's flat against your heels, which your heels are not comfortable, those bony yeah. heels. Yeah. And I'm always like I was like, there's no way, I don't care how kinky you are, that you can that you can enjoy being in that position for any length of time unless you are the I most don't feel like flexible. They, I don't ass. feel like that position lasts a long time, though. Because I feel like that's, like, the culmination of, like, the entire, the entire time. Thing, where they're all going to so, just yeah, go cocky on you. Yeah, I don't feel like the guys are lasting all that long by then. Because by then they've already been, like, getting blowjobs and they're, like, watching her upset. So there's, like, a lot of, they're already up in their mind about all that shit. And then it's, like... Like, and she has to be on, like, a table or something because, like, sometimes like I see them up. where she's standing, like, one leg on the ground with her one leg. He's holding one leg in the air. Yeah, I'm like, well, I'm front. not flexible enough for you to be holding one leg in the air while yeah. one leg's on the ground. I'm like, this, this flamingo look is not the business. <laughs> like, give me a table, you know. Yeah. Get me on the edge of it. Yeah. Like, and then I could be relaxed. Like you said, like, on the yeah. massage, I could be relaxed. Yeah. You can do your thing. Yeah. I can enjoy it. It's hard for me 
to multitask. Yeah. I know, like when people are like sixty nine, they're like, "This is for both of us, and we're enjoying this." No, I can't. I it doesn't. Like it. It, I don't enjoy I've it. Done it before, and I don't like it. Yeah, let's what? take turns. Let's take turns. Let's take turns. You just totally one hundred percent relax and let yeah. me take care of you, and vice versa. Yeah. Yeah. But like sixty nine is just too, doing too much. Yeah, someone's got to be holding themselves up, and like, what am I squishing oh, you, or you're yeah. squishing me? And I'm like, and also, have you ever like encountered like different body lengths? Like oh, depending yeah. on it's your partner, some some people are longer, shorter, whatever. They can't reach. You can't yeah. reach. It's it's a problem it's on your back. It's a problem on your back. It's nonsense. <laughs> it's something that I feel like people like read about or saw in a magazine or in a movie, and they were like, "Oh my god, I'm in a 69." And I I would be, I mean, please, dear listeners, write in if you are a 69er. Please let us know. But I would I would have a hunch that most people after they try it in their youth are like, that's nonsense. <laughs> that's not a sustainable sexual <laughs> position for life. Well, yes, uh, listeners, and if you do like it, please let us know exactly why. Like, what happens in your brain yeah. and what is the, yeah. the enjoyment? But, like, I, I definitely feel like there, it's not that even the 69 is a bad thing, per se, but there are better things. There are better things. Do you know what I mean? Right. It's like, why have you tater tots when you could have tater tot nachos? It's kind of like... <laughs> <laughs> what a weird example! <laughs> I was wondering what you were going to say is better than tater tots. I was like, French fries? I didn't know, know where you were going with that example. I don't know either. It was a really arbitrary It was very arbitrary. <laughs> but it's like, there's so many things I'd rather do above 69. Sure. And if I have the time, I'm going to do those. I like, agree. I'm Like, it's just yeah. not, I also know. have a germ problem with, like, the DP, multiple people, vagina ass mouth all being involved i don't i don't mm. i can't i can't no i can't i can't no. be a party to things where i don't know what's happening yeah because like if someone tried to stick a penis in my mouth that had been in a butthole <laughs> and there's no way there's no i could not do that and i'm not saying other people shouldn't i'm saying like myself personally, personally. <laughs> I can't I just mentally yeah. can't like there's no way I could have an orgasm during well, that scenario because there's no way I could mentally separate that from pleasure <laughs> couldn't do it Isn't, couldn't do it if somebody doesn't wash their hands if same with peeing and pooping in the sexual context Mm. just can't i just i i can't even spitting i'm like Ugh. i can't do spitting like spitting. yeah and i'm like i understand that we make out and your spit goes in my mouth but the act of spitting which i spit in my real life on the sidewalk constantly when yeah. i played soccer i spit all the time there's a place for spitting it is not in my mouth it's not or in my near mouth. me or on any of my body parts it does not it if it's fine for you do it yeah but for me i'm like well it's a huge it's a huge kink of but i remember um uh i love uh, jet setting Jasmine and King Noir. Like, I follow them on Instagram and they're like a porn couple. Mm-hmm. And I never watched any of their porns. I just loved them. They had a baby, it was super cute. <laughs> they were, it, it was just the cutest little porn couple. And they do BDSM and all this stuff. And I was like, you know what? One day I was like, let me go watch one of their videos. Mm-hmm. And like 20 seconds in, he like spits directly, Ugh. spits directly into her mouth. And I was like, and scene. I like, literally I have chills on my whole body. Yeah. You just said that. I, I, hope. I, I, I just couldn't. It's not, it's for me, it's not my kink. No. You know what I mean? Uh, it's for someone else and, and, uh, and I support you. Uh, <laughs> support you, but not near me. But, yeah, but not, you know. Yeah. And I, I, yeah, it definitely was like, uh, like if, if you don't wash your hands when you're cooking, I notice immediately, like my brain clocks like germ situations. Uh-huh. So like, 
I'll, I'll notice and my brain will notice also when you finally do wash your hands. It's like this weird thing that just keeps track of stuff in, in the back of my mind. And so if there's a situation, a scenario where things are going into buttholes or whatever, you, I, there's no way I'm going to be able to relax in that scenario because I will have clocked that and now I'll be watching everywhere yeah. <laughs> that it goes. Yeah. Did it touch the sheets? What, yeah. What, yeah. What, what, Absolutely. What, what's happening here? Yeah. Do we have a drop cloth that we can throw <laughs> away after this? You know what I'm saying? Are we going to shower between? Are we showering? Is that is, is that everybody not? washing their junk? Is everybody, I got good soap. I got Bronner's. Yeah. We, <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Well, we're in accordance. Everybody needs to wash their junk. Let's before we move on to our heroin rating, let's talk a little bit about the narrator. Since you listened on Audible, as per usual, let me know what you thought. Um, I enjoyed the narrator. Like I know, same thing. Everybody gets like up in arms if the accent is not right. But for me, I just care that the accent makes you feel like it's a different time. And that's it. That's all I care about. It doesn't have to match. The time. That's why I accept the French accent, even when it's in Britain, like or vice or a British accent, even when it's in France. You know, it just tells me like, oh, this is historical. Oh, this is another time or whatever. And then my brain completely lets go of any sort of like fact checking on that. So, I mean, if that's not your thing, then you're not going to enjoy the narration. But I think it's a silly reason not to enjoy it because they did a good job. Awesome. What did you think about our fair heroine, Constance? I loved Constance. I thought she was plucky. Like I, I was here for the all the nonsense and all the like um, the high energy of everything. The flitty, floaty, you know, like you could just see her about to get into trouble. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I even love like how it ended where she wrote her like naughty play about them and like. She was so willing to like take any criticism from anyone else except for him because that would be sad. But all the criticism, all these other people and like running with it, embracing it and being like, yeah, I am like that and I'm wonderful and you still love me and I'm better than you. Like, <laughs> I was like, get him, girl. Like, get him, girl. So, yeah. So what did you give her? How many peach booties? I gave her five peaches. Five peaches. I gave her five peaches because I, I just really liked her. I, didn't, I did not find her to annoy me. And sometimes characters like that are super plucky can annoy me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought she was just a great balance of like plucky and like kind of sassy and uh, practical. And, you know, like she did the same thing as the, the other character in the, in the other book where he tells her to like leave the room so they can have a discussion. And she's like, yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm just going to stay right here. Yeah. Like and, and her inner dialogue is like. I'm not gonna let these guys yeah. have <laughs> these guys with mediocre yeah. <laughs> like knowledge to make the decision yeah. here, you know. Um, so I enjoyed that. Uh, I also gave her a five. I thought she was wonderful. I thought her sexual awakening was great. Like I already said, I enjoyed that she was like, "Tell me more. Tell what does this do? Where do you put this? Who does this?" Like I loved that she when she realizes that he's not boring, she's immediately like, "Oh my god, have I been missing this the whole time?" Like. <laughs> Ooh, I have to figure out my find a way to get him to tell me what's going on, and and I love that she just like never gave up and was always, even when she was sad, she was like convinced that she could fix it and that that she could you know sort of surmount the odds and. Um, she always had a scheme. She always had a scheme. I loved all the schemes. Yeah. I'm not a schemer in real life, but I loved her schemes. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I gave her a five. I even like when she pulls him in the closet in the beginning when they have their first kiss. Mm-hmm. She's like, okay, get in this closet. What we're going to do is, like, 
we're gonna get caught in the closet because this is gonna sell it. <laughs> yeah. And while we're here, let's just really skip, let's really make out. Let's really make out. Yeah. And let's figure this out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then he like kisses her, and I'm like, ooh. ooh. <laughs> My wig's all askew. <laughs> okay. Which brings us to the hero. What did you think about our fair hero, Lord? Abthorpe. Or Earl uh, Abthorpe, I apologize. Julian. <laughs> Julian Haywood. Julian. Um, uh, our hero. Um, I actually gave him a five, which sometimes I feel like giving fives, I don't like to give fives. But I gave him a five because I felt like he was really flawed and it all made sense. Like in the first book, I felt like he had this, this burst of anger that came out of nowhere and I was like, yo, nigga, chill. <laughs> 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 but it's your second Edward of this podcast. Oh, you know. so, I'm not saying you shouldn't say it. Oh. Feel free to do you, but I do think it's funny. I think it's the first podcast you've ever said. Oh, is it? But I love it. I've been trying not to use it as much, um, but, but sometimes, sometimes you know, called for. Sometimes called for. Um, but uh, but in this one, I felt like I felt like every problem that he was having with Constance was justified. And if you've like ever, um, like, like my sister and I are, are vastly different, right? So I was going through like some health issues and things like that where she was like traveling the world and being a social butterfly. And we could not relate to each other because we were having two totally different paradigms at the same time. So he's here trying to, one, figure out how to not be a gigolo anymore and support his family and get this bill passed through. And this is the most important life or death thing in his life. And she's like a socialite you know just like her main thing in life is trying to match make her friends and and the uh, her her uh, the people in the last book and and whatnot so the the furthest she can see is not life or death the furthest is all very kind of frivolous right so their encounters together um you know where it gets contentious is because is because of that natural um difference mm-hmm. in realities mm-hmm. or whatnot um, and so, but I felt like every, every interaction was justified when he thought she was frivolous. It was because to him, it was frivolous. He's like, look, I'm trying to feed my family. And she's like, I need more flowers. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, but I, I did, I, I did like him. Um, I also liked him, but I gave him a four. And the reason I gave him a four was I felt like, um, he was just like a little bit slow to me on the uptake. Like once he, <laughs> once he actually talked to her in a, in not a group setting, mm-hmm. and he realized like, you know, and he even says in his internal monologue, she's so brilliant and she's come up with all these things and she's like literally solving this problem and saving me and my family and she clearly has a good heart and just made this mistake. And even after he finds out why she wrote the letter, um which was to protect younger or not maybe younger, but like unmarried women from men who might prey upon them. Yeah. Um, and you and even after he finds out why she sent the letter and that she was like sort of preyed upon by that other guy and that she's trying to do the, do it the only way she can, which is to protect other women by sharing information. And obviously it got out and there's, you know, but it didn't get out because of her. It got out because of the other lady. You know what I mean? So it's like, it is her fault in the sense that she wrote it, but it's not her fault in the sense that she didn't send it to the paper. Yeah. 
And I feel like even after all those revelations, like, he's still such a dummy. Yeah. And so that's why I gave him one star off, because I was like, get with the picture. <laughs> She's the love of your life, and you could marry her. So, yep. like, lock that shit down, brah. Like, <laughs> quit being an idiot. Lock it. Lock it down. You dick. <laughs> so anyways, that's why I gave him a form. But I did think, in terms of a McDreamy to McSteamy, yeah. he was definitely a McSteamy underneath that courtly exterior. Oh, yeah. He had the McSteam. He was, he was, he was really steamy. Yeah. And, and I was actually a little bit kind of one, like, the other guy you actually saw in the whip, whipping house right. in, the, in the other book. Um but him, you didn't get to see any of his gigolo ways other than, like, what he was showing uh, Constance. Right. Um, and I kind of wanted there to be some... Like a flashback. <laughs> like a, yes. You know, or, like, even, like, a more of an encounter with, like, a past, like, oh, past, past clients person. or some, yeah. like, like, I didn't want to go... I don't f- think people would have known it was him, though, because he said he wore a mask and stuff and went by a different name. So unless they saw him like butt naked again, they wouldn't know it was him. Because he like she even talks about at the end when when they're playing together that he changes his voice and his demeanor and so like I don't think that that end. Yeah, I don't know been. if it would have made sense. I just like the idea that he was a gigolo. I mean, I liked that and I they had a gigolo one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I did like the intrigue of like her pulling out all the different types of items and, yeah. and being like handcuffs and a fake gun and, and a you know and a dildo but, and a yeah. you know like he had all kinds of stuff. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it would have been fun to have him explain to her more scenarios that he did, or just like give us more of a glimpse. Just, and more, of, I just wanted a little bit more of a glimpse because you knew yeah. there was it was a rich backstory. Because yeah. they had some classy and they had some nasty, you know, classy and nasty. You know, I, I was like, how much money he make as a gigolo too? I'm very curious. Like, I mean, enough to keep himself, two people, in a household afloat. <laughs> I mean, good money. Shoot, you ever think of like? ST- I mean, his house was like filled with cobwebs and. He literally only had like his nice three outfits, and the rest of his life was a disaster. But I mean, his his mom and his sister weren't like he was maintaining dad, and they had the kid, like yeah. the sister's kid. Like, did did was, they ever talk about any sort of like uh, prophylactic <laughs> um, during no. in the book? I know, not that I re- not okay. that I recall, because I always but they didn't have sex after they were married. No, they didn't. No, no, they didn't. So maybe but that was he, why. I actually meant more like. Oh, when he was. He did say that he was. I want to say that he said that he told her he had been safe or safe. something like that. Or like, yeah, I feel like. But I don't know that he mentioned like prophylactics. But I do feel like I remember him saying that he was had been careful or something. Like he I, didn't have like syphilis. Because I always <laughs> think that when it's always like the courtesan or whatever. Especially back in the day. Back in the day, I'm like, ooh, somebody's getting they syphilis. They all died of syphilis, man. Yeah. I was like, dang. Syphilis, I guess, was like. It was big. It's like, it's like kind of like it's a sexually H- transmitted HIV disease. in the 90s and the 80s and 90s. No, no, it's. um, So it's. Like the equivalent. No, it's it's like a it's I mean it's a sexually it can be sexually transmitted I guess it's the equivalent in that sense but it's like way deadlier faster because uh-huh. HIV you get AIDS and then you die from something else because AIDS basically like kills your immune system and then you die from something else you die like from syphilis we can fact check this later we, we need we need yeah I, I'm actually really concerned I just went and did that. I'm really concerned that you, that you have syphilis I don't think no you no no concerned not concerned that. that I have syphilis oh. <laughs> I was like I don't think you should be worried about I'm that. just no so what happened is uh like uh I went and got a whole like STD panel mm-hmm. uh, recently um and 
And in one of the books I'm reading, they talk about like how you shouldn't be so um, concerned about STDs because, and they give you all of these facts about every STD and whatever, right? And it was like something like 80% of people who have herpes don't know they have herpes, right? Like, and will never show symptoms of it, right? So that's why it's so easily passed or things like that. Um, and syphilis came up and hepatitis and they were like, people are so concerned about HIV, but you should really be concerned about hepatitis and, oh, and syphilis. Yeah. Like they were like, these ones affect more. I, I can't remember. So more these people. facts are going to be slightly off, but like more people and they're deadlier mm. versus, you know, he's like, it's a difference between you being afraid to fly in a plane, but you're more likely to die in Drive. a car crash, right. you know? And I was like, huh, this is all very interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, knock on wood, thankfully have never had an STD, but I've also been like soups, paranoid, vigilant about protection. Yeah. So your mom's a nurse. Those, I bet she drew. <laughs> she, she, her big thing was like, I mean, she obviously told us about diseases and yada, yada, but her big thing was like pregnancy. Like if you get pregnant, that's your fault because I'm telling you, I will take you to the doctor and I will buy you condoms and I will help you like get on the pill or whatever. If that's something that you're choosing to do, like I want you to be safe while doing that. So her big thing was more like, or at least I remember her talking about pregnancy more than talking about diseases. But that also could have been the time because, like, when I was starting to have sex or, like, when she started telling us about sex, not when I was having it, she started telling us about it very early. Um, the, it was also, like, you know, herpes wasn't as rampant as it is now. You know what I mean? Like, STDs yeah. weren't as um, – but, like, teen pregnancy was, like, obviously has been a huge issue forever and continue will continue to be – if. If there's no healthcare education, (laughs) Um, but that was her big thing. Also, because I came, you know, and her big thing, which is 100% what I'm going to tell Kira and my next daughter, because it it was very true. I was, uh, my mom used to say to me, I got pregnant four times the first month I tried to get pregnant. And I was like, oh, and she's like, so if you think you're one of those people who can get away with having unprotected sex and having no kid, you're not. (laughs) <laughs> you're gonna get knocked up like she's like you, i had i got pregnant all four times i tried and she had one miscarriage so there's only three of us but like all four times she got pregnant both of my children i got pregnant in the first month did you yeah yeah the first the first month we tried i got pregnant and i'm you really are catholic i know well it's <laughs> on both sides my grandma on my my uh eastern european side she had four kids in five years and started at 37 in the 50s which now, if you, like, start at 37, it's not as unusual. But when she was having kids, it was super unusual to have kids at 37, yeah. unless it was, like, your 10th. Um, and she banged those little, little mofos out. Everyone is healthy. Everyone had normal, you know, vaginal births. Like, the – and then my other grandma had 11. No problem. <laughs> Got pregnant all 11 times. No. You know, never waited to get pregnant. She had three sets of Irish twins. It was like, I always knew – the fertility gene in my family is strong. real strong. Real strong. And that was a huge deterrent for me as well, which then ended up keeping me safe from diseases in addition because I was always like, oh, no, 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 we need to be wearing condoms. Even if I was on the pill, I was like, we still need to use condoms because I don't want to be that 1% of person. <laughs> I am that genetic ladder. Like, I am that fertile. So, um, yeah. So, anyway, so I, I never really worried too much about diseases just because I was 
So paranoid. Which, again, you know, you still can get them, even if you're just kind of... You can, because, like, herpes rub is, a, is a skin thing. Yeah, you can just rub it up on each other. Yeah. But but it's like, hey, you have to have an outbreak, and there has right. to be, you know, or whatever. Right. So it goes back to the, what that lady said. I forget her name, but she was like, uh, the prostitute told her, always check the meat. Like, oh. <laughs> oh, to see if he has anything open. Yeah. So, so she was like, before you mess with the dude, always check the meat. <laughs> that is so... Smart and also gross. I mean, it is. Like, if, you, if you see something, you'd be like, ooh. ooh not today. Not today. Today's not going to be that day. Wow. Or whatever. Well, thankfully, I just, I just like never had to make that choice. So, uh, uh, Bridget, we have a skimmer's guide to the cookies and the nookie. And the nookie. Where'd you find some cookies and nookie, Bridge? Um, I found a lot of cookies. And a lot of nookies. <laughs> um, the first one was, for me, that I feel like is like a substantial nook. Um, I mean, I think their makeout in the closet is, you know, is very like sexy and stuff. But I feel like the when he sneaks in her window and then helps her masturbate with the apple, uh, that's definitely the first one. Oh, yeah. So tell the people where they can find it, Johnny. Um, on audio, you can find that in chapter 14. Ooh. And then and then from there it gets pretty good. So mm-hmm. I would start chapter fourteen, and then I'm I'm gonna let you find the rest. Yes, find those juicy nuggets. So as you know, I always have more than one favorite line in a book. It's like when people ask me what my favorite book is, and I'm like, how does one choose? How does one choose your favorite movie? Like, what's my favorite movie of what genre and what decade? You know what I mean? Like, I can't just like do every movie ever because it depends on your mood <laughs> same with books i can't just choose my favorite book of mm-hmm. all time i could give you like my top 20 my top 10 maybe just to like my top 10 romance novels you know what i mean yeah so it's hard for me to pick my favorite line but i'm gonna give you two so i'll go first because okay. i know you usually actually pick one because we're only supposed to pick one um this was and as you know mine, mine are not always sexual because sometimes i just like the repartee yeah okay she rolled her eyes apthorpe my dear, fretting about what is appropriate between us now is like worrying one does not have one's parasol whilst drowning in the ocean. That's I going. always, I just think that's so funny. First of all, it's just good writing. And also I like that she's just like, okay, I know I might be a virgin, but you don't have to treat me with kid gloves. Like, I know you're a male prostitute and we're supposed to be getting married and we're in this whole thing together, so... Let's Stop being a little this. bitch. <laughs> <laughs> no pabs. Um, okay, what's your next one? Um, my next one is uh, Apthorpe is talking and he's saying, I don't have an affliction. I'm perfectly capable of regulating my desires. But Constance, yes, don't call them unnatural until you try them. And I'm like... He's gonna get, 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 get it, get it, get it, And then she's like left being like, wait, try them. Ooh, Ooh. okay. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I, I love that line. I was like, oh, someone's pulling off the kid gloves. Now he's trying to tempt you. I love it. Yes. Uh, yeah, that's that's a really good one. I, I picked a sort of sexual line, um, mostly because I thought it left so much for the imagination. Um, and I've actually kind of had this moment happen like recently where since I've been going through all these kink classes and stuff and there's stuff like I want to try, but sometimes there's something you want to try and you can't get the words past your lips, like to ask for the thing you want to try. Sometimes it literally just gets stuck there and you're just like, oh, uh, so anyway, 
uh, it's a quick line. It was just, um, Julian, I can't stop thinking about you, about the day in your house with the ties. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> and it's like she's fishing to like. She wants him to like autocomplete. Yeah. She wants him to be like, where I tied you up yeah. and mm-hmm. you wanted me to ravish you. Exactly. Like, I can do that now. <laughs> And I was like, yes, that, you know. Um, so I, I just like that line because it kind of resonated where you're just trying to like prod, like, hey, you know, so. Uh, have you been thinking about it? Have you been thinking? Are you, you know? I've been thinking. Uh, or whatever. And uh, and so, yes, yeah, so I like that one. That was my favorite one. Did you have any favorite reviews for this one? Um, I did have a favorite review. Um, let's see here. Well, normally I try to pick one that's like descriptive or whatever. Um, but. Uh, so I got one from, I'm not sure how to say this name, Magum. Okay. So my favorite review is from Magum, and um, they gave it three out of five stars. And there's not that many reviews on Audible, so I'm not going to say it's like the fairest representation of all the readers of this book. Um, but it said, I love the first in this series, and there's a lot to like about this one as well. Great characters, a feminist sensibility, a good deal of fun alongside angst and torturing pining. But for me, the central conflict between protagonists was dealt with poorly. Stops and starts, moments where it seemed ignored only to suddenly reappear. And although this series is certainly at the fanciful end of historical fiction for me, the latter 75% devolved into absolute farce combined with unnecessary extra conflict. A shame, given the many other strengths. I will read the next one in the series, but if you've not started any, definitely try book one first. So I picked this review because I felt like it gave kind of like a, like, I like it, also didn't like it mm-hmm. type of thing. So I don't 100% agree with the review, mm-hmm. but I do agree with this kind of thing about uh, stops and starts. Because I felt that way, um, and when I read the review, I was like, "Yeah, that's that's the that's the thing I was feeling." Um, where sometimes it feels like they're going in a direction, and then yeah, they make progress. Being a little bitch, yeah, <laughs> like a pussy ass bitch. Yeah. We we already we already talked about this. It's not you, like no, you can't be a pussy ass yeah. bitch. You know, sometimes she, if she's the love of your life. You better treat her. You right. gotta do it. No pabs. No yeah. pabs. Um, but but yeah, and I I. I Sometimes that disjointedness like kind of annoyed me, um, so I I did kind of agree with that. Um, but I I did really love the book. Still, I didn't think it devolved seventy five percent. But thanks, Magum. This is from Natasha is a book junkie on Goodreads, um, and she gave it five stars. I have been breathlessly recommending Scarlett Peckham's writing from the moment I first discovered her magnificent prose in The Duke I Tempted, and I've been eagerly awaiting her second novel ever since. A mix of tropes that are essentially my catnip, a marriage of convenience between two people who appear to hate each other, with an unrequited love twist thrown in to turn up the angst. This Regency-era romance continues The Secrets of Charlotte Street series with a story that is so much more than the sum of its tropes. Brimming with emotion, passion, and plenty of pining, Scarlett Peckham's latest offering is a touching portrayal of two people finding out what they mean to themselves and to each other by pretending to be something they are not. It's by far one of my favorite with a U. Reads of the year. I just like charts because I feel like, first of all, it was well-written, which I enjoy a good well-written review. Um, But also I feel like you know, sh- this is clearly a romance reader who, you know, loves the tropes and understands it, but also appreciates that Scarlett has a really great writing style. Yeah. Um, and that the book was just really interesting. You know, what's your favorite trope, Bridget? 
Hmm. I don't know. You know, I don't really love the like hate it to love one actually. Um, cause most of the time I feel like it's not done well. And I'm, when they finally get together, I'm like, yeah, but like you both hate each other. Like, mm, I don't buy that. Um, it might be. Hmm. I don't know. I feel like I'm going to have to like research some tropes. I feel like I need like a list of tropes. You know what I mean? I I, I mean, I feel you. Cause I'm, my I mind. guess mine would be like, um, well, cause I really like paranormal. So I guess mine would be like, what would you call it? Like a bonding of, of like nature. Yeah. Maybe would be my favorite trope where it's like unavoidable, you know? Do you like the like alpha? And then, and then they have to figure out why or like how to be together and trust each other and whatever. I always wonder, I like, in, I guess it, that might be my favorite. It, in books like that, and I guess, like, in the story I'm writing, it has that kind of element, right? But where they clearly, where she wants absolutely nothing to do with him. Um, and it's, and they've been bonded, like, she, and she, ha, she has no idea. He knows, but she has no idea that that's happened. Um, and she's living her best life, and he's, but he knows he's bonded. And so it's it's interesting that like that bonding trope, you know. Um, but I do love that as well. I I somehow like really like books, and I don't know what the name of this trope would be, but I like when the guy is like not hugely older than than the girl, but not like two years, right? Mm-hmm. Where like she may be his ward, or like I don't want to say like in charge of her, but somehow almost like a slightly different power dynamic over a situation. I actually really like that. And I know it can be creepy, but I like, I really do. Like, I'm always like, I like when she's like, you know, cause girls were wards until they were like 24 or 25. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't mean that she's like a 13 year old ward, right. you know? And some of it I really like, is like, say like there was like a Duke and he got this ward and she grew up with like, you know, like, the Duke's son or whatever. And the Duke's son's like eight years older than her. And she always had a crush on him. Like, sure. like I like those yeah. types of setups. Like he's not her direct ward perhaps. But yeah. Like, they're not related, right. you know, whatever. But like he was definitely somebody she looked up to or had this yeah. kind of sense of whatever. Yeah. So I like those ones. I like not necessarily with the ward situation, but I do like the trope of uh, someone growing up, which this book actually kind of had someone who's, like a younger girl usually. Um, and the guy was quite a bit older than her and viewed her as like sort of a quasi younger sister or maybe a quasi like friend of a younger sister. Yeah. And then one day she grows up and he's like blown away. He's like, hey girl. I know, which is definitely what happened in this book. Yeah. Um, and then he just like did nothing for eight years. But um, yeah, I like I like that one. I don't know about the ward one. I mean, I, I don't think I would hate it if it was in a book I was reading, but I don't know that I would like immediately like look for that. I think I think it's less that it's the person's direct ward and more like somebody who grew up like adjacent or, an adjacent or, or whatever. I was trying to think of an example, but it's mostly like an adjacent thing. But there's always a sort of slight, slight power dynamic yeah. that for me gets me all tingly. I'm like, yeah. ooh, yeah. I love that. You know, <laughs> how about the cover art? Did you love the cover art? I mean, I think the cover art is beautiful. I like the other one as well. However, the first one made sense in that there was all these flowers and she was a botanist. But Constance is not a botanist, and the it's still the same theme of yeah. cover art. So then it makes me feel like it was less intentional mm-hmm. 
it was just make a pretty cover. It didn't matter. She was a botanist in the first one. It was like every mm-hmm. book is going to be a woman surrounded by flowers. Right. You know. I could agree with that. I do think that the title of this one, because the title of the last one, I was like, she didn't really tempt the Duke. But I do feel like the Earl I ruined, um, which was interesting because we actually met Scarlett. So this is like a fun little tidbit for you guys. Uh, we went to an author signing and panel with her. And she said that she actually had a different title for book one but really loved the layout of this title, The Earl I Ruined, and felt like it just, like, the way it fit together, how it put the the, the female protagonist as, like, the author of, of the book, sort of, um, that she went back and sort of retroactively changed book one's title to be in the same format. So all the books will have this same format, uh, which totally makes sense and makes more sense why the first one is called The Duke I Tempted. Um, I think The Earl I Ruined is a great title. Yeah. Um, totally fit, totally worked for me. It's exactly what happened. So, yeah. <laughs> and it also is like, but you know, it's a romance novel. So you're like, ooh, how's she gonna mm. like fix it? <laughs> <laughs> I actually thought when she when they use the term ruined, like most of the time when you hear ruined in a romance it's like novel, a sexual, it's a sexual thing. Yeah. But no, she like like Ru- literally ruined his <laughs> career, <laughs> ruined his life. Well, it was a sexual thing because she said that he was like a deviant who liked to be spanked and stuff. So she, it was kind of sexual, I guess. But but she didn't ruin. Right. She didn't ruin. He was already she ruined the reputation. Yeah, you know. So like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so I thought it was like spot on. And I like titles that are spot on. Yeah. Because some of them are so vague. I don't need vagueness. I'm I like, need you to tell me what I'm in this book. Yep. I, I'm not even mad if you write a book with a title that's like, in this book, there's a man seduces hot, hot woman. woman. Yes. Soul. <laughs> <laughs> on top of car, car yes. rumble. Yes. Like, like, the more descriptive of a title, yeah. the better for yeah. me. Um, also, the better the, the, cover, the art. cover art. I don't generally tend to like cover art that doesn't have a person on it mm. purely because it like it just doesn't catch my eye. Yeah. I agree with that. I get it. You're trying to be like different and yeah. simple or whatever, but it's the last book I'm going to pick up unless somebody recommends it. They're like, "You got to read this book." And I'll be like, "Why didn't they put a catchier cover on this?" Yeah. Like I would have told Why is there not shirtless human beings on this cover? I'm just saying. Either gender. I don't even care which one. I don't care one. which one. Well, someone. I, I even like when they have body parts. Some will yeah, have like hands. Or, or an arm. Yeah. Like, arms. Arms get me. Arms get me. Arms get me so good. And that little piece between your neck and your and your shoulder. Mm-hmm. That, that shit gets me every mm-hmm. time. Yeah, when your collarbone's popping. You're popping. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> oh, my God. Speaking of popping, I was watching a video with Kira Knightley and <clears throat> interviewing about movies that she was in. And they showed a clip of Pirates of the Caribbean. And I was like, my literal first thought was, dang, girl, your collarbone is popping out of your body. That was my first thought. I love that movie. I love her. I think she's a wonderful actress. But just in that scene, I was like, good gracious, your bone is about to pop right off your chest. She does have popping collarbone. She does. So would you say worth the read? I would say absolutely worth the read. Absolutely. And I would say, don't worry about pe- what people say about the narrator. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And if you're reading the paper book or the Kindle, then it really you don't have matter. to worry about that. <laughs> then you are the narrator. You are the narrator in your own mind. <laughs> all right, everyone. That's all we have for you today. And until next time, may your books be your lover. And your hand, your best friend. We have an exclusive where we went to see Scarlett Peckham on an author panel, and we are going to include some juicy tidbits from the panel on her thoughts about her book and the romance genre in general. Scarlett Peckham fell in love with romance novels as a child. 
sneaking paperbacks from her grandmother's closet. Today, she is the award-winning author of historical erotic romance. Her BDSM-themed series, and let me say this like BDSM, because I speak quickly. Uh, her uh, BDSM-themed uh, series, The Secrets of Charlotte Street, includes The Duke I Tempted and The Earl I Ruined, both published in 2018. What was the romance novel that first won your heart? Uh, mine is a problematic favorite, uh, Whitney, My Love, by oh, Judith yeah. McNaught, yeah. Um, which I probably read 17 times before I was the age of 14, which is disturbing and probably warped <laughs> my worldview in a really, 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 really rough way. Um, yeah, uh, but yeah, that book really got inside me, so. <laughs> so what three things, or two things, or just one thing, that do you surround yourself while you write to get in the zone? Like, imagine a bedraggled woman wearing, like, dirty sweatpants and, like, a stained concert t-shirt from 2001 and a cat, like, physically wearing a cat. <laughs> um, yeah, sustained by, like, Red Bull Zoloft. <laughs> wow, there's a lot to unpack here. Yeah, you know, just, like, imagine, like, a complete mess. That's, that's my zone. That's my special place. Readers are attracted to the melodrama of the genre, as all of you know. Uh, they also want relatable characters and believable love stories. So how do you as romance writers strike the balance between real love story and kind of over the top, this would never happen in real life? I would argue that I did not in any way refrain from going off the wall. <laughs> <laughs> um, really? Yeah, no, I mean, I feel like romance is a, it's it's a courtship plot and it's, you know, it's, it's as old as time itself. And so we've all read courtship plots over and over and over and over. And then, you know, the genre itself is pretty codified between all these different subgenres, like historical, mm -hmm. contemporary, fantasy, you know, all, there are so many different ways of doing it that to me, it's like like anything I can think of that might be original or interesting or surprise someone, I'm gonna do it. So I'm not really very concerned with keeping like the plot elements terribly realistic. I'm much more concerned with keeping the characters reacting mm -hmm. in a way that seems resonant and psychologically like, um, like, I don't know if we're gonna say like it's, you know, this scientific character study, but it definitely, to me at least, feels like, okay, I could see that happening. I could see someone reacting that way in this wild plane of like fires and betrayals and you know. <laughs> okay. How has the Me Too movement influenced your writing uh, and publishing, romance publishing in general in your opinion? I wrote my first book the year before Me Too happened and I was right at the point of deciding to self-publish it and hiring an editor um, when like I, like, I remember where I was sitting when the Harvey Weinstein scandal broke and like kind of reading about it. And my first book is called The Duke I Tempted and it's about like um, a duke who, uh, he's searching for a wife, reasons, reasons, but um, there's this botanist who's essentially working on his estate. And at the beginning of, in the earlier draft of the book, um, he had been her direct employer and as I was sort of like reading the book in the context of this Weinstein stuff percolating, I was just like, that 
that's disgusting. <laughs> like, yeah. not only is he a duke, so he already has like such tremendous power in the world, and not only is she completely financially ruined if she doesn't do what he wants her to do, but also like now he's literally calling the shots and like paying the check and like it just I couldn't do it. Um and like I decided to go back and reframe it so that his sister is actually her employer. So, I mean, he's still, like, the source of the money that's flowing her way, but there's at least sort of, like, plausible deniability between them. Um, but then when I was sort of thinking about, like, when I was doing that edit and trying to, like, unwind those plot things and, and add more distance and rewrite certain scenes to, like, change things, I realized that the way that he spoke to her in many of the scenes was just so, like, stuff I had grabbed from romance over the years. Like, you know, I've been reading this stuff since I was, like I said, like, 11. <laughs> um, you know, including books, like, the book I mentioned, Whitney, My Love, like, in, I believe there's, like, an expurgated version now where this doesn't happen, but in the book that I read, there's, like, an actual rape in mm -hmm. the book. And, like, the hero, like, literally, well, I don't want to say literally, I haven't read it in a long time, but in, as I recall, like, he rapes the heroine and then he's yeah. very upset. Yeah. And then he goes downstairs and, like, has a drink with his brother in the mansion that they live in. And he's like, oh, God, fuck, man, I raped her. <laughs> like, it's just insane. It's yeah. insane. But, like, like looking back on it, it's literally so horrifying. Yeah. But, like, yeah. I was reading this at 11 and being like, I guess that's what happened. You know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, so then I was looking at this book that I had written and just finding all these moments where the hero speaks to the heroine with this kind of like presumed power and noblesse oblige, kind of because I just hadn't been thinking hard enough about how I wanted men to talk to women, how I wanted power dynamics to actually work, which was ironic because I wrote a book like explicitly about power dynamics. And before that, it literally hadn't even occurred to me that I had done that. Thanks for hanging in with us, romance readers. Head over to Instagram to continue chatting with us. We're super friendly. We want to cackle with you. We want to know what your favorite sex scene was. And we need more book recommendations. If you want to read along with us, go to our website, romanceataglance.com, to see what we're reading next. And we'll see you next podcast.